Kevin and I got married, we bought our first kitchen table. It was just the two of us, and we would share meals and life lessons together. Eventually, we had three kids, and each one of them pulled up a chair to the table, and we shared those life lessons with them, the things that would make or break them. But that wasn't the end. No, it wasn't. We had number four, Jaden, and he pulled up a chair to the table. And we, once again, shared our life lessons with him. And that's really what this series is about, to pull up a chair so that we can share with you four of the best core life lessons that God has brought to us as a church. And today we're excited to bring to you Mastering Your Money. I remember the first time I met Ron Blue. He'd already benefited us. We'd read his books and materials, and now he was at 12 Stone, and he was gonna sit down and be our financial counselor as a church. So I'm excited for you to get this teaching. Grab your Bibles, your teaching notes. This comes from 2016. Welcome to 12 Stone as we go deeper into a dare that can change your life. We dare you to master your money. We double dog dare you to master your money. And we're making a huge investment in this as we have purchased thousands of Ron Blue's book, Master Your Money. It is allowing Ron to become our financial advisor personally through this book. By the way, if you didn't get one of these books and you're with us today, this is our gift to you on the way out. Pick one up, dive into this. And Ron's doing more than being our financial advisor through the book, which will help you incredibly. But Ron is taking a role alongside us in the teaching, kind of interviewing. So let me take you back to, to the conversations we've been having over the last couple of weeks, and you'll want to get online and catch up on the teaching if you're unfamiliar with where we're going, because Ron helps us understand that we're at one of perhaps five different places right now in our personal finances. Some struggling and wondering, how do you get to the next step, which is surviving? And if you're surviving, how do you get to the next step, which is stable? And if you're stable, you want to know not how do you stay there, but how do you get to the next step, secure? And if you're secure, how do you get to the next level, surplus? Now, you go to previous week's teaching, we can detail that, but the question is always the same. Wherever I am today, how do I get to the next level? And the answer to that question is five biblical financial principles that Ron lays out for us. In fact, they're sitting there in your teaching notes on the back of your bulletin. Everyone grab their teaching notes across the campuses, and you might want to jot these down to fill in the blank. Here are the five that are serving as our foundation, our outline, if you will, for the four-week series. Number one, spend less. Everybody say, spend what? Less than you earn. Number two, avoid. Say it with me. Do what? Avoid. you got to avoid the use of debt. Number three, build margin, which is all about what? Save, yeah, we've talked about that. Now I'll go to number four. Set long-term, what everybody? Goals. And then give generously. Now Ron delivered these four plus one in a conversation before the senators. Listen to this conversation. Ron, when you were having the conversation with the uh, senators and you delivered the four things, the fifth one, the financial principles being give generously, you didn't immediately give that. Why not? Well, at the time, I, it was a secular setting, obviously. Uh, and like I said, I didn't know what I knew because when I said it, I said, this is it. And then when I backed away from that a little bit and had some time, I said, but the real principle is to give generously as a fifth principle. 
And over the years now, as I've taught this, that's really the only five principles that you need to know for managing your money. And, it, and again, it doesn't make any difference on where you are in your life stage. Those are still going to be the five principles. And they're going to be the five principles for businesses and for families and for governments. They're transcendent. They're God's word. So wherever you are in your finances or your life stage, these are the five principles. And we've come down to set long-term goals, number four, and give generously, number five. And I'm going to teach those interchangeably over these final two weeks because I'm not sure how to make sense of give generously unless you have long-term goals and how to make sense of long-term goals unless you give generously. So these next two weeks, we're going to unpack those two thoughts, mainly because when you think about it, why would you bother to give generously unless you're looking down the road? See, you're not only looking in long-term goals at your earthly retirement or what's happening down the road while you're on earth, but your eternal retirement. Because true long-term financial planning begins with a sense of eternity. And people of faith, those of us who have settled this matter, who believe in God by faith, our faith redefines how we understand finances and manage them. Take your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, across the campuses, Hebrews chapter 11, page 1212, as a reminder of how we see life through long-term lens of eternity. We see life through the long-term lens of eternity. Page 1212, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance that is certain of what we do not see. Verse 2, this is what the ancients said as people who walked with God in the Old Testament were commended for. And without faith, if you drop down to verse 6, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, our faith orients our thinking. Even down to verse 13, it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. And what does that look like? Look at verse 16, halfway through. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, everybody lives by faith. You're either living by faith that there is no God, and that's faith because all the evidence points to him. So by faith, you might be an atheist that says, you know what, there is no God, I'm God. That's a lot of faith. Or you might be a follower of Christ by faith acknowledging that all the evidence seems to point to the creator. And once you settle your relationship with God, hear me, you get a long-term view of how you manage your finances because your finances are redefined by your faith. And if they're not, then you got to wonder whether or not you really are a person of faith. Back it up to Luke chapter 6. Jesus gives us a truth with a picture. On page 1033, backing up, Luke chapter 6. And in a moment, Jesus gives us a picture in verse 38 that helps us understand a, a context, if you will, for this idea that when you have a long-term view of giving, it affects how you make decisions today. And so Jesus is talking to the crowd of his day in verse 38, page 1033, Luke chapter 6. He says, give. What's the word, everybody? See, he's talking about giving. There's, there's going to be a reorientation. This give generously thing that, that, that Ron is teaching about comes from Scripture. Giving it will be given to you. That is to say, when you give, when you honor God first, that is to say, when you, when you honor the causes of God, when your heart is giving like God's heart is giving, when you, when you see your management of resources from the perspective of give, giving it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's an interesting picture. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Scripture often uses the idea that you reap what you sow. 
That if you honor God, God is freed up to honor you. It's all part of his teaching. And so here Jesus is not giving us a, a formula how to get rich with God, for, with God. This isn't a get rich scheme. This is really how you get right with God, how you demonstrate your relationship with God. And he paints a picture. And I want to make sure you get the picture. He, he's using a language that the people of his time would say, oh, I get it. Because if you would give to God and honor God, then God is freed up to pour back into your life because he, he is your provider. And he will give back to you, not in small measure, but pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. What does that mean? Well, see, everybody listening knew that the Old Testament law said that those who have fields should leave the, ex, the, the outside of their field for those who are impoverished and in need don't have a field. So in order for them to eat, they would travel miles and walk to these fields, and they would find on the edges of the field would be grain left over for them to pick, and they would pick it and maybe put it in their basket, and they would shake it so the chaff would blow out and, and all the empty spaces would be filled. And then they would press it down so that they would get more in there, and they would take more and put it in, and they would shake it and let the chaff blow in and fill in the empty spaces and press it down until it was overflowing because they couldn't make that multi-mile trip walking there and back multiple times. They knew that whatever they got in that time would have to last them. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you honor God, when you give to God, God is freed up to give back to you and continue his generosity toward you in a way that's pressed down and shaken and overflowing. This is an amazing picture of what God will do and be freed up, but that takes a long-term view. you got to understand from eternal retirement to even your own earthly retirement to 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 2 years down the road. And so it helps you, if you will, sort of paint a picture of your finances and where give generously sets in. In fact, this long-term thing, Ron in his book makes a statement that I, I'd like to tell you the whole story of his, his illustration with his daughter, but you'll get the book. You'll have a chance to read it. You'll, you'll, get, you'll come across it. But here's a line that stands out. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, or, uh, page 32, he says, the longer term your perspective, the longer term your perspective, the better your decision is likely to be. It's a great statement. See, the further down the road you see, the better decision you make today. Many of us make impulse decisions in life, particularly with our money. And we don't make those decisions in light of down the road. But the longer term you see, the better you understand from eternity to your retirement to 20 years to 10 years to 5 years to 2 years, the better decision you make today. Manage your money today in light of long term. And with that, then we all have to figure out what does long term look like. For example, Marsha and I, in our first year of marriage to 3 years to 5 years to 10 years to 50 years, had a progressive long term kind of view set of conversations. Here's a list of the kinds of conversations, things we've walked through. For example, tithe, returning to God the first 10%. We settled that early in our marriage. In fact, when we got married, we said we would honor God with first 10% because life's uncertain and we need his help. And here's what we understand. Jesus said, you can't Serve God and serve money. You're going to have to make a decision. Hear me. You all have to make a decision today. God's going to deliver truth to you. What are you going to do with this? You can't love God and love money. In fact, what we finally discovered, and this is a truth that kind of gets settled in our soul, you can love God and have money. You can love God and have money, but you can't love money and have God. So we've got to settle. Who's going to be first? So you look at our list there, and, and right off the top, for 33 years of marriage, we've always honored God with the first 10 plus percent. Okay, second, things like no credit card debt. 
And we'll talk about that uh, next week when we pick up the, more of this long term in this list. Uh, save, something every paycheck. Uh, four, no consumer debt. Five, eventually no car debt. Six, save something every paycheck. You see, that's a repeat because you forget that. And we have to come back and say, oh man, I gotta keep fighting for this. Uh, seven, kids college, debt free. How do, you, how do you manage that? Cash margin, three to six months of expenses, uh, retirement plans, uh, house debt free kind of place. We're gonna unpack more of that list next week because this whole idea of planning and setting this in motion is important. But with it, Ron says, inside the long-term plan, he is a give-generously kind of conversation. In fact, that's part of the interview I had with Ron. Listen in. What does give-generously mean? Number one is, uh, I get asked the question all the time, should I tithe or not? And my... You are sitting with the pastor. I know, I know, okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, if you go to 12 Stone, yes, but if you go someplace else. <laughs> Let's keep that in. Yeah, okay. I believe that tithing is just the beginning of giving. Uh, now, even tithing in the New Testament, I think uh, New Testament giving is 1 Corinthians 16 too. Give as God has prospered you. So I think if... To me, tithing is a beginning point, and I counsel people, don't give 10%, give 10.1% or 9.9, because you tend to think of that as, as God's money and the rest is mine. No, it's all His. So I do the tithe in recognition of God's ownership. But then I think comes another level of giving, and if I am prospering, I should see my percentage of giving going up. So I think giving, giving produces joy. Who doesn't want joy? Giving produces joy. Who doesn't want joy? And Ron brings up the language of the word tithe. So, so let me define that word. Tithe literally means one-tenth. It's a mathematical term. In other words, a tithe of 10 bucks is a buck. A tithe of 100 bucks is 10 bucks. A tithe of 1,000 is, is 100. You get the idea. A tithe of 10,000 is 1,000. A tithe of 100,000 is 10,000. A tithe of a million is, is 100,000. I mean, in other words, when you say the word tithe, what you literally mean is a tenth. It's not 2%, 6%, 8 It's not 15 or 20 It's 10 So when Scripture talks about tithes and offerings, it means 10% plus whatever beyond that. And once a year, we have a conversation and I answer people's questions, why do you and Marcia, as a couple, honor God with 10%, at least 10 plus, why do you return your tithe, your 10% to God through your storehouse, local church where you attend? Why do you do that? I mean, you've done, why do you guys do it? You did it in difficult times when you, when you couldn't make ends meet. You, 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 you did it when you, you had plenty. Why do you do that the whole of your life, non-negotiably? Why is that a settled issue? Because I shouldn't be talking about something if I don't live it authentically and people want to know. And so once a year we answer the question. It is rooted in places in Scripture like Malachi. Now it's all throughout the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. But if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3, page 960. Malachi chapter 3, page 960. This will give you a context for why Marcia and I honor God with our first fruits, with the first 10%. And here's an example of God uh, correcting Israel and helping them understand the seriousness of this conversation regarding money because faith redefines your long-term, how you see money and how you handle it and how you give it. Verse 6 of page 960, Malachi chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. So God said, return, restore this relationship, and I'll return to you. But you ask, how do we return? Verse 8 is interesting. He said, will a mere mortal rob God? 
Would you just as a human being rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes, that's one-tenth, and offerings. Verse 9, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Test me. So God puts you to a, so God's saying, you put me to the test. Let me demonstrate to you that if you'll honor me, I'm freed up to honor you. You become a candidate for my blessing. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you, there will not be room enough for you. Room enough to store it even. Now, when Marsha and I wrestled through patches like that and throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we conclude that we want to be candidates for God's blessing. We want to honor God, not rob God. And this is huge because for us, you just gotta, for us, it frees up our finances. For many people, oh no, to honor God would, would freeze their finances and shut you down and make it less. We've discovered it makes us more and it frees us up. And you get to settle this in your own life. In fact, by the end of today's teaching, you'll have a chance. What will you do with the invitation of God? The opportunity for what we call annually, just one moment, try and help you break through the 90-day trust test. But right now I'm talking about what do we do and, and, and why. So in our case, there are three things that, that God has helped us understand. And, I, and usually when I do this, I can give five, eight, ten. But inside of Ron helping us, Ron elevates three things that are consistent that help us. They're in your teaching notes. And if you care to follow along and fill the blank, blank you can do that. And here they are if you want to do your kind of little bit fill in the blank. Three reasons. The first one is God owns it all. Simple, clear, and to the point, God what? Owns it all. Now that's true whether I believe it or not. It's just true. God, number two, is first. And number three, I can afford to give. Now I want you to see that these are layered the first one, God owns it all. Listen, because God owns it all, then God is what? First. Because God owns it all. We, we, for Marcia and I, we say, okay, God owns it all. We understand. Because God owns it all, God is what? First. And because God is first, I can afford to give. So you can always afford to give to whatever is first or whoever is first. But it begins with God owns it all. Listen to what Ron has to say. During your early business, non-Christian days, you were making money, you worked on Wall Street, business success, the money was yours. In your book, you talk about God owns everything. Talk a little bit about that change in thinking. Well, uh, it's clear in Scripture. First Chronicles 29, what David had to say, and in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's a big everything. It's a big everything. Well, to me, that's the most fundamental decision that a Christian can make. When they recognize God's ownership, then 100% of what they have belongs to Him. Now, I believe we need to give uh, to break the power of money, but if I'm using what He entrusted me with, then theoretically and practically speaking, Every decision I make financially is a decision about using his resources. It's the most fundamental decision that a Christian can make. And once they make that decision, everything changes. And all of a sudden, they began seeing things, seeing things in Scripture that they didn't see before, just like me. Man, Ron makes great statements. Like 100% of all I own belongs to God. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that? I mean, do you just, is that just cliche, or do you believe this in your soul? God owns it all. 
that comes from him. It's by him. It's his generosity to us. Rob makes other statements. I wish we could just sit and camp on like this one. I believe we need to give to break the power of money. Whew, that's good. See, because money gets a grip on you, and you get tight-fisted even toward God instead of open-handed toward God. By the way, which one are you? Are you tight-fisted toward God? Hold it. Because when you get tight-fisted toward God, you, 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 you kind of really saying, it's mine. It's whose? Say it again. It's whose? Oh, you tighten your fist. It's mine. This is mine. And you get caught in the minefield. And like every parent tries to help their kids break out of this mine, this minefield. God, our Father in heaven, tries to help us break through that mine. And that brings us to a classic 12-stone story that I've not been able to tell for three years. I'm so excited we need to get back to the traditions. This is the story. It is the Skittles Sunday story. All excited to bring it back. Let's talk about it. When Jaden, child number four, was two years old, we went to the movie theater. And, and, and we, we bought the tickets. And then, of course, you go to the concession stand. You take out a second mortgage. And you buy your sodas. And, and you buy your popcorn. And, and, and Jaden loves Skittles. So he was Skittles boy back in the day, and, and he loved getting his Skittles. And, and we pour them into a little cup, and this two-year-old sitting next to me, and he's in his Skittles and watching the movie. We're having a great time. We're enjoying it. And, and then during the movie, I, I reached over, and I, and, and, and I took a Skittle to enjoy with him. Now, you would have thought that I had a knife and that I jammed it in his thigh all the way to his bone based on his response. Because he let out a blood-curdling, no, that echoed in the theater over the movie. I mean, I kid you not, people were turning around the theater like, man, what is going on back? Is there child abuse? I'm like, not yet. (laughs) But there's about to be. I mean, I I just about snapped. I'm like, what is wrong with you, you little two-year-old imp? I mean, I wanted to grab the cup and just go, guzzle them all. See, this little two-year-old, my adorable Jaden, forgot four things with his father. Hear me. And we can forget those same four things with our heavenly father. Write them down. The first thing Jaden forgot is I provided them. I provided them. See, for a moment, Jaden forgot that I was the man, the hookup, the provider, the source. Are you kidding me? Where do you think as a two-year-old you're going to get Skittles if not from me? Man, I love you, dude. What are you doing? Mine. You know what? We can forget that our Father in heaven has provided every good thing, including this earth, this world, oxygen, life, breath, and everything you need to live, including all the finances and stuff. How generous of him. He's your provider. Have you forgotten that? There's a second thing Jaden forgot. I didn't need them. <laughs> I didn't need his Skittles. Look, if I wanted to, I'm not a man of means, but if I wanted to, I could go home and fill a bathtub full of Skittles, make him sit there and watch me bathe in them, gorge on them, vomit, and go back and do it again. I mean, I can afford, see, I don't need his stupid little Skittles. He's like, you mine. Okay. 
We can do that with our Father in heaven. You, you know, God doesn't need your Skittles. God's not up there wringing his hands. Oh, they didn't give. He probably didn't sound like that. They didn't give. <laughs> My kingdom's going to fall because they withheld their... Listen, God's kingdom doesn't fall when you don't honor him. Your world does. He, he doesn't need them. And sometimes you can forget that. There's a third thing Jaden forgot. I could take them. I'm not trying to be mean. But I might not be able to take you. You might be tough. You might be muscular. I might not be able to take you. But I can take a two-year-old, okay? I mean, I mean I get, comparatively, if I wanted him, I could have just ripped him out of his hand and he could be skittleless. <laughs> you know, sometimes we forget the reverence that is due God. We get so casual with him. Jesus told the story of the man that was not rich toward God and kept collecting and building bigger barns and thinking he was his own God. And, and then Jesus says, and God said to this man, you're dead. <laughs> now what? Literally, just bluntly, now your soul is required of you. Any more questions? And when you start forgetting who God is versus who you are, we're just the two-year-old in the presence of the creator. And what Jaden forgot with me, we can forget with God. There's a fourth one. He needs to give them. See, Jaden forgot he needs to give. Listen, because it affects our relationship. When Jaden withheld from me, he was being tight-fisted and he hardens his heart. And what happens is he starts seeing himself as having to protect himself from me, as if I'm a taker instead of the giver. We do that with God. We can get messed up and forget. See, as soon as Jaden is tender toward me, it opens up our relationship. As soon as he goes from tight-fisted to open-handed, it dramatically changes his relationship with me as a father. This is a heart issue. And yet we all get caught up in this world in Skittles. This becomes a Skittles competition. We hoard them, collect them, count them, love them. One with the most Skittles wins. Love my Skittles. And then Jesus comes along and says, guard your heart from all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of your Skittles. Share. So I'm supposed to share. I have a few Skittles here. Is there anyone, anyone who loves and would like right now to have some Skittles? Let me hear from you. Let me hear from you. All right, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. Here we go. Let's see. Let's try and get some distance. Let's pick somebody. Let's try to go to the back here. Oh, yeah, right over their head. All right, up here. Let's try and get some. And how about over here? She just ducks. You didn't catch him. You just duck. No Skittles for you. All right, over. You know what? Actually, here's what. My mom taught me that if you're going to eat in front of other people, bring enough for everybody. So here's what we're going to do. Across all the campuses, everybody gets Skittles. It's Skittles Sunday. It's back. It's been three years. Here we go. Ushers are going to distribute Skittles to everybody. So the baskets are going out. Everybody's going to get some Skittles. The ushers are going to distribute them across all the campuses. As the ushers begin to distribute Skittles, you go ahead and grab one, pass it down to your neighbor. And by the way, by the way, when, you, when the Skittles start being distributed, when you get your little Skittles, okay, when you get your Skittles pack, open it up and take the first Skittle out and set it aside. Everybody listening to me? Because they're called fruit Skittles. 
So take the first fruit, set it aside, and put it in the offering basket at the end of the service. That's just symbolic of God getting the first fruit. And I already see what some people are doing. Do not look for the nasty yellow one as your first one. No, 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 no. No. If your favorite is cherry or grape, you give God first fruit, the best one. Because God is first. God is what? See, understand this. Listen, you ready? We've already said it in the notes, but let me go back to it. Because God owns it all, watch this, because God owns it all, that means God is first. And because God is first, I can afford to give. God owns it all, and God is first. God is what? First. Let's go back to Ron Blue in his book. And you listen while you enjoy some Skittles, get a little bit of sugar high, which kicks it up, and then you'll crash after the service. But while we're here, it'll be awesome. So here we go. Ron writes later in the book, and you'll get your own book, you'll want to read this. Preemptive giving is clearly defined in Proverbs 3.9. Listen to Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. The what fruits? First fruits of all your increase. That means everything that comes into your household, all your income, etc., the first fruits, the first of it goes to God because God's first. And, and Ron writes, to me, this means that giving to God's work should have the first, giving to God's work should have the first priority over all other uses of your money, because it's God's money anyway. And therefore, I give, Ron writes, preempting all other uses until I have met that commitment. First thing I do, he says, is honor God with first fruits, because it's God's. God is first. Probably the person who has most impacted me on this subject has been my mom. I watched my mom navigate a, a difficult marriage, and she was a contributor, no doubt. A very difficult divorce, and I watched her re-enter the marketplace that she'd never previously entered. She hadn't worked really in the marketplace. She had no high school education. I watched her work multiple jobs, $2 an hour as a waitress, I watched her go through some pretty difficult times. We lived in government subsidized housing. We were on food stamps. This is even into my high school years. I remember that. And I remember my mom always honored God with first fruits. However little much it was, she would honor God first. And she would tell me things like, son, if you don't honor God first, then you don't trust him, you don't love him, and you don't walk with him. This is not a cliche. This is core. You can't serve God and money, so you got to figure it out. I remember watching her do this. In fact, for, for my mom, everybody doesn't have, doesn't have this experience, but this is my unique experience, right? My mom graduated from high school with a GED the same year that I graduated from high school. Here's a picture of my mom. This is her graduation from high school with her GED. She was 39 years old and proud of mom and, and good for her. And, and, and I watched her in an environment where there were people who made three, five, ten times her money, yet she would outgive them. I'm like, Mom, wow, how do you do that? Now, I remember at some point as, as we got into a few years later, in fact, she, she was approaching 50 a little bit later in life, which is old <laughs> to me back in the day. Now I know that 50 is young. 50 is like the new 20. So <laughs> nobody even knows what that means but only 50-something say. So she's approaching 50. I'm having a conversation with my mom. Mom, you gotta, you're not planning well for your retirement. I mean, you don't really have anything. I mean, what are you going to do? And I'm all worried about this for her. And I'm like, oh, mom, this is going to be. And I remember her telling me things like, you know what, son? Um, the only thing that's certain is my eternal retirement. And so I give to that first. 
And uh, then God's going to have to help shake out the rest. But I worried about it for her. When I was speaking at her funeral, because she died at 53 with ovarian cancer, I remember the Spirit of God. I'll never forget it. He whispered and settled something in my soul. He said, son, see your mom? She's retiring just fine. And son, sometimes you worry about the wrong things first. You understand that? Sometimes, anybody else ever worry about the wrong things first? Man, I have. And God had to reorient some things in me. That you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm laying up treasure in heaven, and I got to get first things first. And what we get to do and be a part of, not only when I give, does it, does it help grow my faith and my children's faith and, 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 and family's faith, but it does so much more than that. It, it, we get to be a part of every time you give to God through the local church, whatever's your home church, you get to be a part of the kingdom of God expanding. You're funding people coming to faith. When you see people come to faith and get baptized, you're like, man, we're celebrating the kingdom of God. You're a part of something that lasts and matters. It's laying up treasure in heaven. When you see a marriage restored, when you, when you see a student break free and, and, and discover their identity in Christ. When you see somebody caught in addiction, freed up. When you celebrate a baptism. When you watch God change a life because one matters to God and so one matters to us. Church, we celebrate all of this. Well, you're helping fund this. And sometimes in the world when, when, when people are like, man, you ought to buy more stuff and why would you give so much away to the kingdom of God? I think, you know what? The stuff I'm giving to is gonna outlast the stuff you're buying. Thank God I get to be a part of something that actually lasts and matters. And sometimes I gotta say that in my head or I get caught up in the greed and the stuff and I don't want to keep more Skittles and I end up closing my hand instead of opening my hand to God. See, everybody's got to settle this. If God's going to be first, then you got to practice this. God first. And see, if God owns it all, and he does, and God's first, then listen, I can afford to give. Watch this. I can afford to give. In fact, I wrote this in my notes. You might want to jot it down. Whatever is last is the pressure. Whatever is last is the pressure. Whatever is last is your pressure, and you decide the order. Here's what I mean. Let me take it to the whiteboard for a second and draw it out for you. See, if God is first, and, and, and that's what Marcia and I tried to settle, and, and we try and practice in our life, God is first. And just for example, we talked about saving last week, but if saving is second, and, and then if lifestyle is third, okay, if, if that's the order, then watch this. Then whatever is last, and that means lifestyle is last, God's first safe side. Whatever is last becomes your pressure. Keep listening, keep listening. And therefore, all my pressures on lifestyle decisions. Because I always run out of money. Anybody else run out of money? I always run out of money. And, when I, and so when I run out of money, I run out of money in my lifestyle because that's last on my list. And therefore, listen, I have to adjust my living. All my pressures to adjust my living. But you get to decide the order. And if you change the order and you make your lifestyle first and maybe you make save second and then you make God third and now all of a sudden God is last on your list, then God is your pressure. Giving is your pressure and you'll never have to give to God. And then you'll adjust your giving. Listen, you're either going to adjust your living or adjust your giving. And it all depends on the order, and you get to create the order. And here's my point. If God owns it all and God is first, then I can always afford to give because he's first. 
What I can't afford is a lifestyle beyond my means, and therefore I have to adjust my living. You're either going to adjust your living or adjust your giving, and it's based on whether or not God is first or last. Whew. Does that make sense? Hello. That's why I could always afford to give. A lot of other things I can't afford, but I can afford to give. Ron, in the interview, shared a story that I thought was so marking about how we can all afford to give that it just, well, it's powerful listening. So when somebody tells you, Ron, oh, I love the idea of giving generously, and, and I hope someday I'll be in a, in a position to give generously. When I actually make uh, my first half a million, my first million, when I start making money, someday I'm going to be a generous giver. What do, you, what do you say? You know, it doesn't start when you make money. It starts with an attitude of the heart. You can be generous when you make a little bit. You know, I had a, a, a situation that taught me a lot about giving. Uh, I took uh, one of my sons, we would meet for breakfast at a Chick-fil-A uh, every week, and there was a Hispanic lady that waited on us that was just a delight, and she got to know what we wanted before we ever even went up to the counter. And so one day I was walking out of the Chick-fil-A and I thought, you know, you tip people in restaurants, but you don't ever tip people in a fast food restaurant. Huh. I wonder if they can take a tip. So I reached in my pocket and I pulled out uh, my billfold and I had 20 in there. And I said, I'm just gonna go see if she can, if she can uh, take a tip. And the Lord said to me, you cheapskate, you got a lot of 20s. <laughs> <laughs> And did you say, my hearing's not yeah. good? <laughs> well, I pulled out five, five twenties, folded them over so she couldn't see. And I went in and I said, can you take a tip? And she said, yeah, I can. So I handed her the money and walked out. And then I was back in there uh, a week or so later, and she came over to the table and she thanked me. She says, you know, she said, I needed a set of tires when you gave me that money. Huh. She said, and so I was really grateful. But she said, my daughter, who's in high school, came home, and a friend of hers in her high school class, their apartment had burned the day before. And she said, they needed the money more than I did. So I gave them the $100. She said, that's where it ended up. Wow. Talk about generosity. And, you know, I, I gave out of my abundance. She gave out of her poverty. And so giving generously has nothing to do with income. It has everything to do with a, with a heart attitude. Mm. Oh, isn't that a good story? I mean, that right there just, just for, it just forced me to acknowledge, you know what, I can always afford to give. And it, whether you have plenty, whether you have abundance, whether you're in the middle at the bottom, whatever, you, you, you can all afford to honor God. In fact, Marsha and I concluded we can't afford not to honor God. You've got to settle your decision. What are you going to do? And every year we give you an opportunity. It's called the 90-day trust test. Many 12 stores ask me, keep repeating this. Don't stop doing this because it helped them break through. Everybody across the campuses, take your bulletin. Open it up wide. Wide open bulletin. When you do on the left-hand inside section, it says 90-day trust test. Everybody fold that over a couple of times. And let's detach it right now all at the same time. As, as you get your bulletin, let's just detach it so that we all have it. We've all made the noise together at the same time. We all know what we're doing. And as you get this in front of you, it's called the 90-day trust test. Now, let me just talk to you for a moment. At some point, you get to make a decision that you grow up into your faith. See, Jaden grew up. Two to three years later, after that 
Skittles movie incident, four or five years old, we're, we're sitting in the same movie theater watching another movie. He's got his Skittles. And check this out. Do you know what he did? He gave me just a little elbow. Dad, Dad. I said, yeah, buddy, what? He said, Daddy, would you like some Skittles? Oh. I'm like, buddy, I sure would. I took a couple Skittles. Do you know what immediately he did? He drew a little closer. Now I could tear up, man. He drew a little closer. I drew a little closer. Put my arm around that kid. See, he, he took a clenched fist and he opened it up. And it affects our relationship. Can I tell you something? If he had any idea what had happened in that moment, he could have asked me for a bathtub full of Skittles and he would have got it. He could have got anything he wanted in that moment. Because it's a heart issue. Can I tell you something? If you have a close fist toward God or an open hand, it's affecting your relationship with him. And this is just an invitation to grow up into trusting God. That's why it says tithing is not a matter of money. It's a matter of trust. God knows that one of the most difficult areas for us to trust him in is in finance. And so we go to Malachi chapter 3 and we say, trust God. Test him in this. See if he will not demonstrate to be the provider that you can trust. The father who loves you and provides. Let your faith become so real that it goes into the most intimate areas of your life. Will I trust? And so here's your response. Realizing that trust is the single most important factor in your relationship with God. Here's what we're going to do for the next 90 days. You choose to honor God with the first 10% your tithe. Bring it to your local church. In this case, it's 12 stone. And you just honor God. You say, God, I want to honor you with first fruits. And then you can go ahead and check right there. Say, oh, that's right. I'm going to, I'm going to have a breakthrough today. I will begin tithing. Major decision for you. And you take out the pen, you begin to fill that out. Or maybe you say, you know what, I knew this, and I've drifted from it. God, forgive me. I want to get back to it. Or maybe I already tithed you. Check that. So put your name and, and, and print and, and email. Listen, when you do this, you're going to place it in the offering today. It's a powerful decision. Huge decision for you. In fact, I'm going to receive these. I'm going to pray over these over the next 90 days. And by the way, I want you to know something. If you're thinking, oh, if I did that, you know what, I think, I don't know if God will help. Okay, let's just listen. We say this every, every time we do this. If at the end of 90 days you've concluded, you got, man, I think I've been scammed. Or I, I don't got, think God honored this. I honor God for 90 days, first 10%. And I just feel like I made a mistake. You feel like you did. You come back to us and you say, look, here's what I gave over the, the 90 days. We'll know. I want it back. We'll write the check back to you because we're not here raising funds. We're here raising faith. If you don't break through in this area of your life, you're never going to master your money. Figure out how to honor God. And we just want to help you do it for your sake and for God's sake in your life. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, they want to pray this truth over your life and into your life.